0: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.
1: Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. Hello to you. Welcome to the History of Being Black podcast. I'm Jay Hall, and today we have a duo special guest, but not just Any. any duo. I have both of the hosts of Inside the Black Box, acting coach, casting director, Tracy Moore, and Emmy Award-winning actor and the man that had a scared every Thursday night, a.k.a. Papa Hope, Mr. Joe Morton. Hello to both of you. Hello. Hello, hello. hello. How, how is everybody doing today?
2: Wonderful. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah,
3: glad to be here.
1: Not a problem. Um, Just something I really like to generally ask ever since the pandemic, because I feel like after 2020, every other year has been sequels after that. (laughs) So I always try to get a gauge of asking, how are you doing? Because, listen, if last minute you say I can't do this, I totally get it because that's just where everything has left us at this moment. So I try to be very respectful of that. Both of you are the host of Inside the Black Box, which is on Crackle TV. And that is an interactive interview show which explores the experiences of Black artists within the world of entertainment. And I think it's one of the livest, dopest classes I've ever seen on TV. <laughs> um, and acting teachers have a special place in my heart. Uh, my acting teacher, when I was in high school, Brenda Perriman, she passed in 2020 and she opened the door to my creative world of my journey and that. And I don't think sometimes acting teachers get the shine that they always need to get shine off because people see that and they think it's done so easily. And so I just want to take time to say that to both of you who are establishing your careers for you to take time to do that. I just think that's just dope on a personal note.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yeah. So um did you two know each other beforehand? Like and and you came together with this idea or was the idea presented to you?
2: Um <laughs> well we we did know each other because um but you know um I, I initially met Joe through his daughter Hopi who I've been friends with since New York Undercover. And um, so um, I, I, and of course I knew all of his work, Um, but when in 2016, when we came together to do the sizzle, um, then I had to approach Joe, uh, you know, and asked him if he would be a part of our sizzle and the interviewing process. And as we were doing the sizzle, it, it, there was this moment where, you know, we interact on our show. And so on The Sizzle, we did the same thing. We had um, we asked the acting audience if someone wanted to do Papa Pope's monologue, you're just a boy, right? And not one man raised his hand. <laughs> it was a female. A <laughs> female raised her hand. And so she came down bravely and Joe gave her some pointers. And then when Joe sat on the st- You know, we were in the rafters, and when Joe sat on the steel stairs and was watching her from the audience point of view, and I was like watching the audience and him. I was like, like I, it would be the greatest opportunity to be able to teach with Emmy Award-winning Joe Morton (laughs) and the body of work that he has and the history that he knows. And so, in that moment, I was like, wow! Like, if I did this, because I'm so used to being back behind the stage. I would do it with Joe because he um this just seemed the perfect platform um and the way that the audience just took in, you know, every syllable out of his mouth it was it was riveting. That day was riveting. I'll never forget that day.
3: It was really a, a special day. I mean, first of all when Hopi sort of explained to me what the, what Tracy was trying to put together, the idea of um a show where stars would come on, but not talk about the latest project, but talk about what their experience had been as a person of color within the industry. That number one was interesting to me because that implies a kind of history, depending on how far back. So if you're talking to uh, Morgan Freeman or whomever who's been in this industry for a very long time, you're gonna get that history. Um, and then the idea of teaching um, uh, is just amazing. Uh, the fact that we could actually not only teach, but sort of put together a showcase for these burgeoning actors was again, something I thought was uh, more than um, necessary, but essential. Um, and so here we
2: are. Mm-hmm.
1: I always thought it was something that I counter when people like to say the whole like, black folks don't help each other out. And I would read articles about people like you, Tracy, who were coaching and you know, and, and, and giving that kind of counsel to those, especially rappers that were like trying to make that transition over. And I knew it was there. Was there a challenge to put this on display? Because you all have always been doing it within your career and your time, or was it a challenge to say, hey, we're gonna put this actually on TV so the general public can see?
2: Yes, 18 years, <laughs> of, you know. Someone would think I had this idea 18 years ago, but someone would think, oh, that's challenging, 18 years. But you know, um, in looking back at the first season, first episode, it's all worth it. The joy was in the journey for me. Um, the The challenge is that we are still in a place twenty twenty three where we don't have workable budgets for people of color, where there are not enough people of color, green light positions in studios to make decisions, and uh, um, you know the ability for us to tell our stories through our voice. And so, um, there continues to be obstacles and challenges and hurd- hurdles. However, what's important about the show is that we focus on the solutions. You know, you hear stories from Jeffrey Wright to Condola, Rashad, who are telling their truths and their journeys, and some of their journeys very challenging. you know, but to walk away, still being passionate and persevering is something. That we give those actors when they leave, regardless of what the journey entails, they feel armed and ready to go. Um, and then they also, I love when they say I get DMs and they're like, I'm gonna watch season two again for my masterclass. Tonight. <laughs> so people are actually using our show as a masterclass. And um, they're like, Can't wait for season three to see how I graduate to another level. So it's it's very inspiring and motivating. Um, and then, you know, um, for Joe to say yes, like I, I, one day I'll be able to articulate it because it's so much in my soul and in my spirit, how it resonates with me. But, um, when he called and asked about the show and, you know, I told him, I was obvious. we need a celebrity with a production company. He said, I'm a celebrity. I got a production company. I was like, yeah, you're right. And you know, that was him giving, you know, because he didn't have to say yes, but he did. And the will started to go in uh, 2017. And then we're here now in season two.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's as Tracy says, it's more than just teaching. Um, it, it really is arming them with um, other people's experiences. So if, if uh, um, an older actor comes on or an actor who has a lot more experience, comes on and talks about both the good and the bad uh, and their perspective of all of that. Um, it makes for a community. It makes for everybody in that room to feel like they're in the same place, doing the same thing for the same reason, and with the same safeguards. And that's also important to the show: that when they walk into that space, that they feel safe to speak the things that they'd like to say. In mean, a lot of these interviews, when you go on, you have to be very careful about wh- what you say, who you say it to, how you say it. Especially these days. These days, you say the wrong thing, and you could be out of a job. So. Um, In this space, it is safe enough for all of these uh, burgeoning actors as well as the veterans who come on to sort of speak their truths in a way that they don't feel uh, are going to have any um, uh, untoward uh, repercussions. Um, and in fact, what it'll do is it'll educate them in terms of how to approach, not just their, their careers as individual actors, but how to approach the experience altogether as an artist. Um, that perseverance is important, that saving money is important, that, that um, just having a good people around you who you can trust. That's a very important thing to have, whether that be your relatives, your friends or your representatives, they, you, these are people that you have to trust and they learn all of these things, you know, inside the black box
1: yeah you talk about trust i i gotta go back to the first episode because it starts off you tell the two young ladies you had them an item and you're like okay run with it <laughs> and it's like they i, I mean I, I was triggered in a good way because it just reminded me of being back in class but what is that to get them to trust you that is going to be okay because you know they got into a shouting match it was like oh you're a on the set now she's an alcoholic and they told this whole story and some of the critique that you kind of gave was about hey listen don't mistake yelling for progress i'm paraphrasing in that sense because a lot of people think you got to be all dramatic and everything but there was a story being told that how do you get the younger generation to trust you when you put them on a the spot like that
3: go ahead tracy <laughs> <laughs> well
2: i i was gonna say um um uh, the majority of the actors um i've been able to work with as spirited actors, a part of my classes. Um, and then there are actors, um, Yolanda Hunt is our casting director. So she, um, and then people, you know, we had Instagram where actors wanted to participate season one. They didn't know what it was about. Um, but I feel like once you come on the stage and prayerfully season three, you will, will extend an invitation to you. (laughs) And, um, When you walk in that room, it's an experience and it's a, you feel safe. You know, um, I think about when Jeffrey Wright was on the show and um, he cried, you know, he got really teary talking about angels in America and people, loved ones close to him that he lost. And so I I feel like it starts. And then, you know, the actors kind of know me and, you know, my Tracy-isms, but to be in front of such a legend like Joe Morton and for Joe to be accessible and to really listen, you know, after the show is, after we finish taping, maybe in a break of taping, they feel as though we are approachable and they can speak to us and they can be their authentic selves just in the audience and how we treat them. I think it's important that I'm always concerned about actors' morale. So um, there's, we have a great comedian that gets them riled up. But I believe the trust is in our work. And they, and they do their due diligence and look us up if they don't know me. <laughs> and, you know, and they find a comfort in that.
3: Yeah, I think it's also um, affirming when somebody like Jeffrey Wright sees us stage a particular um, improv. And his response to that improv was, this is really hard. This is really hard stuff. So to see someone who has the kind of experience that he has talking to uh, an actor who's just up and coming and being told, I understand how difficult this is, not only for you, but in general, is a real big step forward for that that young actor. We all feel like that's hard. Um, And we all sort of. So the idea is to, again, sort of um, envelop. These young actors, I keep calling them young. Some of them are not as young as I would like to think they are. But, but to envelop them in an atmosphere that says, um, "You are not alone. This is how this works. Uh, this is um, this is not easy stuff, and you guys are really taking on uh, uh, the challenge." Um, the, in that same improv that you talked about, that story that they told about. Uh, trust with with each other. You know, this one was an alcoholic. Are you still drinking? Are you taking pills? Now, whatever it was that they went through, suddenly everybody in that room reflects their own lives, not just this improv, not just the work that's in front of them. And su- suddenly there's a real story that we all sort of have some familiar with uh, in front of us. And I think that's important too. I mean, I think one of the things that we said to a lot of the actors was the two places that people want to go to all the time are anger and sex. So let's, let's find out some other places to go. Um, you know, let's, let's find some other places to go. It doesn't, it's not just, that's not our whole life. That's not your whole experience as a human being.
1: Yeah. I think about that. And I think about trust and intimidation. So when I think about, you know, trust, you all were having a conversation about how everyone, Felicia was talking about how everyone goes through the same experiences, but at the same time, you know, the elephant in the room, you know, being a black actor does say something like, Mr. Morton, I remember when I was watching Speed in the theater with my mom and my mom was like, "Mm, Joe Morton. And instantly I started knowing who you were. And I'm like, well, who's he? And my mom's that's a brother from another planet. Like, I mean, she told me the whole bio in the theater as we're watching you drilling Keanu Reeves and everything. And she's not caring about nobody. So I need you to understand, like, when we see that. Right. And we're watching these other movies and we see like you guys are like our champions in that way in that sense. But then also years later, you turn to Papa Pope and I'm like, man, should I call him Sir, <laughs> Mr. I don't know, right? <laughs> like, I, I really don't know because I believe him, mm-hmm. right? Like, I ain't gonna crack no Byron jokes because I don't know, you know, <laughs> past that, you know? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know because you showed me so many layers, all that. And, and for you, Tracy, like, you've taken on something that a lot of people in Hollywood was trying to say that wasn't a cool thing to do, as in engaging with rappers to try to make that transition at a time when it was not popular. Mm-hmm. So you got them to trust you on that level of that. Do you get that sense when you're in that audience, can you feel the tremble a little bit when they're, when they're stepping up and when they're ha- asking questions? Because there is the black experience, but we're also trying to have this duality of saying, but listen, but our experience is every experience, but, but I am black. And I feel like they might be trying to take that from me when we go there. What are your counsel words for both of you that you have when you're talking about Inside the Black Box? Hmm.
2: Joe, <laughs> from another planet. Ooh. You know,
3: I, I mean, I, I, again, um, one of the things that uh, Tracy and I talk about a lot in terms of Inside the Black Box is when these stars come onto the, come into that space to begin with, usually they are just overwhelmed by the kind of energy that they receive. So that puts them in a, sp- in a safe spot. Um, And I think what you're referring to in terms of your mother sort of giving you my whole bio as your, it's because it's that thing of not seeing it's it's that wonder of seeing someone who looks like you up on a big screen like that or on television. And we all sort of go through that Um, these days. And I think what Felicia also was saying is that, yes, despite the apparent differences between us and white folks, we are still the 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 common denominator is that we are human beings. And so on certain levels, as she said, that 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 in that episode, you know, uh, women who have gone through childbirth, it's as painful for one as it is for the other. Uh, Being hungry is as painful for one as as it is for the other. Falling in love is as wonderful for one as it is in the other. It's not so much, I think one of the things that we have to deal with is it's not so much how we view ourselves, because we think most people have a a sense of pride of who they are being Black. It's combating all those ignorant folks who want to put you in a box. Um, And that box is there not only for blackness or brownness, but it's also there for men and women. It's also there for adults and children. We try to put people in boxes because we find out if we can uh, categorize who they are, then it's sim- it's much simpler for us to deal with them. And for those of us who do not wish to be categorized, categorized we're the ones who have th- the fight that we have to constantly sort of... So the interesting thing that you bring out in terms of me, um, I spent most of my career, very deliberately playing good guys, because the time that I came up with, most of the roles that were being offered to black men were bad guys, were pimps and, and drug dealers or druggies or whatever they were. So that when Papa Pope came around, in fact, I was at that time looking for a very smart bad guy. I wanted somebody who was really smart, but was a bad guy. And So those things sort of all came together, which is another thing that we that 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 Tracy was trying to talk about before, which is it is the journey, and the journey is pretty much what you put out there and as those things that you put out there in you know I know what the you know you know what goes around and comes around, and that seems to be the truth in that particular instance you know um I went out to l a for a pilot season and I said uh, to myself looking for a bad guy, smart phone rang, it was my agent saying they want to talk to you. At scandal. And I'd only ever seen the first season of Scandal. Um, so I think that's part of the message that we are also putting out there is that the way you conduct yourself within this industry is pretty much how the how the industry will respond to you.
2: Um, I've always been an advocate for actors since eighty seven when I was at MTV and um there was never a person of color in the breakdowns. And so what I would do is I would bring people of color in and just say to the director choices, you know, I just want you to have choices. And, um, so that's something that, because for me in, in growing up in San Francisco and eventually going to ACT because I studied acting, um, the challenge in being in that type of environment was I always felt that I had to assimilate who I really was, as opposed to culturally I am different. I was always the only person of color in the room. And so um, my thing was, okay, I know I'm black, but I'm an actress. I could be anything and everything. And they were like, nah, nah, slave in little Abner. That's what you, you know? So it's like, you know, to come up at a time where I really wanted to break those barriers and to open people's eyes that, yes, for specific roles, Black actor, person of color, but in general, why can't we be seen like Joe? Joe is, as he's considered in this, this business, as an actor. You know, no one's going to, when directors or writers are writing something and they have him in mind, it could have been a white character. It could have been an Asian. And it's like, no, you know, it doesn't. He's an actor. He can play God. He can play the president of the United States. And so um, I feel like that's still something that we are, you know, it's 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 broadened a little more with the words ethnically ambiguous, which is the terminology that's out there. Um, so people of color do have a little broadness because you could be Cuban, uh, you could be Dominican, <laughs> you could be anything, right? So um, but I feel like with our show, um, it's just just not limiting the dreams that these actors have, you know? Um, because some you know maybe too short, I may be this. Instead of trying to assimilate for what the industry you think the industry wants. Sit in your uniqueness because that's what separates and that's what's your greatness is your uniqueness. We don't want another Beyonce. We have her. So um, that's what a, a lot of times I want actors to walk away with that and just be great in who they are and focus on that. Um, and then come to our show because we enforce that all the time. <laughs> so.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think, it is, a, I think yeah. it is a difficult thing for actors to understand that what they're presenting when they go to an audition is not something that they think... What they shouldn't be doing is presenting something they think the producer and the director wants. They should simply be presenting what they think about that character. Uh, I tell a story often about an English actor I heard about who was in an interview. It wasn't even a straight-up audition. He was in an interview, and the director said, so, would you like to audition? And the actor said, well, I don't know. We don't really know each other that well, because that's how personal it was to him to audition, to show what he could do with his role, was a very, pers- and I've always felt that, that, that these are personal moments. When you walk in for those two minutes, they belong to you. You have to own those two minutes with the work that you've prepared and not think about what you think they might like, but what you're prepared to show them. Uh, I forget who said it, but somebody came on the show and said, you walk into a room and you have a, uh, you know, a table full of people on the other side saying, you know, we have a problem. And this actor said, yes, and I'm the answer to your problem.
1: There is such a level of vulnerability that is required when it comes to, you know, acting in the first place. You know, I remember how as a kid watching, you know, the Different World episode where everyone is cheering. But my acting teacher will always make us point at, you know, you, Morton, because he was like, hey, listen, to play the role of the gentleman who is going to lose in the audience takes an extreme amount of courage. It's something that she wanted us to know because you know we're young, we're men, and we're like that. You know, we're we're like that couldn't be me, and we're talking about. And she was like, "Well, that's the point, you know." But it could be, mm-hmm. you know. And how do you separate yourself from that? And so I always watch that with just a slightly different eye, and also. Looking back in hindsight, I'm like, yo, that was kind of messed up to interrupt someone's wedding. Nowadays, I don't think you, you get shot, but <laughs> I have a different mindset. Yeah, now that I'm a grown man to pay bills. I dare you to do that, right? Like, it's just a whole different thing than it was when I was in elementary school. But um, when you are talking to, you know, actors and I'm, when you take that box, that black box, and you don't know what's going to be in that box, you know, and it's like, hey, listen, we got something for you. What are some of the things of vulnerability that you try to express or a tool that you give them when they right before they're getting ready to perform or even off camera that you share to a younger actor?
2: Well, you know, I want to say that I'd like to think joe if you're if you feel this way, that the exercises are designed for. The tools that you're going to need. Right. So, um, improvisational skills are much needed. When I, 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 uh, finished my career before I became full-time, um, on the set with Buster and Eve, I was coaching them. Um, but I went out on commercials and I was doing these commercials with Spike Lee and some of the auditions for the commercials were improvisation, you know, um, it, um Spike would create a scenario and actors would have to react and, you know, put the product in, incorporate that. So all of the preparation is for actors to be training. That's what they need to do. Because when you step on our stage, you know, whether it's online classes or in-person classes, you're familiar. And so, you know, we have monologues. You know, we do um, a monologue from a movie. We have this um, um, exercise called Going Blackwards where um, we take a monologue from a white, historically a white film, and a black actor does it to see if there's any change, difference, or anything. And so you, as an actor, even if you never, in my experience as a casting director, I've probably seen five monologues. Seriously, you ne- unless it's theater. But a monologue... You need to have it because you're an actor, dramatic and comedic, two minutes, because you can be in an audition and a director can say, oh, my God, you're amazing. Do you have anything else? The worst thing you want to say is no. You're an actor. Yes, I have a monologue. What would you like to see, dramatic or comedic? And then I tell actors, if you don't have a monologue, which you should get, then for comedy, tell an embarrassing story. And for dramatic, tell something traumatic in your life. And so... I like to think that, you know, that's one of the things that Joe and I do is that within Inside the Black Box, all of these exercises are to prepare them. And, you know, you talk to actors, um, and Joe knows um, there's four on the top of my head. When I say that, you know, now they're like, how do I prepare? There's five things. And they (laughs) sound just like Joe. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. (laughs) You know? So they're really taking these things these skills, these tools, all of these things to heart and then to have them validated by Joe and then to have them validated by our guest. It's like, and you're right there, you know, and the same thing with our guests. I feel like Joe and I's energy trans, you know, transfers into them because, you know, on season two, none of them wanted to leave the set. None of them wanted to stay in the green room. They wanted to be on the set, feel the energy and be a part of a show. So, I feel like that speaks volumes, you know, about what we are actually giving these actors for their careers. And they're going to remember this for the rest of their lives.
3: It's similar to uh, I did a show many, many years ago called um, Watch Your Mouth. And basically it was teaching black and Hispanic students the use of what was called standard American English. But but saying to them first. Um, the, the, the English that you use in the streets and in your poetry actually enhances the English language as a whole. But in a diversified audience, you have to learn how to speak this thing called standard American English. The thing that you learn in teaching is that everything you say, these students, if you've gained their trust, going back to that word, will take in every word as, as, as absolute truth. So it's our responsibility, Tracy and I, to make sure that the things, the improvs, the lessons that we give, the um, even the, the guests that we choose to, to to invite onto the show will sort of influence these young actors um, in a way that will help them grow, that will give them some progress. That it's not just a class where we're saying, do things the way I do things. No, I'm just telling you, here's the idea behind b- behind what I do. You take that idea and you make it your own. Yeah, when you had
1: Wendell Pierce on there, you know, he talked about how starting with Spike Lee and passing out the flyers to she's gotta have it, and how they were on a rise, the ebb, and then there was a there was a dip. Right. And then oftentimes in our culture, we've seen the highs, like in the 70s, you know, you had different strokes and good times in the eighties, you know, it was Cosby Show and the 90s, Living Single, and then Martin and everything like that. And it always seems to be taken away from us. But it seems like in the past, maybe eight, some years, there's been a new Black renaissance in that. Do either of you, through your experience, do you see that this one is kind of here to stay, or we could be in for another one where we snatch up and everything on TV is all
2: white? I was reading an article today. This is so crazy you're talking about it, but it said that Generation X, there are 41 Generation X people of color in Hollywood right now that are on fire. They've created um, Hulu shows, HBO. And so what's happening is that they're getting deals. That's what makes me feel a little secure. (laughs) Now, just because you get a production deal doesn't mean you might actually produce something, right? Um, There's a lot of people who have bungalows on these studios and they're playing Nerf ball. Okay, not everybody. But I'm just saying that a production deal gives you some sort of security that I have a, um, you know, I can uh, create, develop, and create and produce these shows, and and because you have, I feel, and I've worked with a lot of this young energy, is that um, they don't believe in impossibilities, they don't believe in no's. and that's really historically where we come from, right? I remember Robert Townsend, Hollywood Shuffle, credit cards. I remember uh, I came up during uh, my first film was Just Another Girl on the IRT. So I'm a part of guerrilla filmmaking where we were borrowing lights from trucks. My apartment was a holding area. Like we we shot by any means necessary. I think it's a little easier today because of the shoulders that they're standing on um, However, I also believe there are more opportunities when you have someone like an Issa Rae who's like, I'm not going to wait for Hollywood. I'm going to shoot my web series. And then next thing you know, Insecure. So I feel like these, they're taking the power in their own hands and they're not listening to any excuses or any impossibilities and they're getting it done. And so I, I feel like that's the energy that we gave them because seriously, I know guerrilla Filmmaking. And so, you know, um, and, and they're also, um, like Terrence J recently, there's a film called fear that came out last Friday. Like he collaborated with, you know, Lala and different friends. So friends are coming together and saying, let's finance and put this budget together. And he literally shot that movie piece to piece because they didn't have the complete budget, you know, to shoot it in the way in which they did. So. I just feel like you know there's a fire that has been lit, and there, um, and 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 no one wants it to go out. People still want to tell more stories, and our stories. So that gives me some sense of hope.
3: I agree. I mean, I think that fire that she's talking about is is um, black filmmakers are now doing what what Tracy calls guerrilla filmmakers because we shot Brother Brother from Another Planet the same way. I mean, it was a low budget film. We had to you know, we steal our way onto the subway so we could you know, get those shots. We had to do all kinds of things. And that was, um, it, and, and it was right at that same time that Spike was doing the same thing. And so there was a kind of energy inside the industry that allowed those kinds of things to happen. And that's what's happening now. We have young people, we have these uh, incredibly uh, powerful telephones. Uh, you can make a whole movie with these phones. And, and that kind of equipment just wasn't available. And so the, uh, these artists are doing what music artists did 20, 25 years ago. They realized, oh wait, I don't need a label to, to put my stuff out. I can do that stuff myself in my basement. I can build my own studio. And that's what I think now um, visual artists are doing. They say, we can build our own studio. We can, we can create our own budgets. We can create our own stories. And then we can attack the market that way, the same way that in so-called independent filmmakers did in the eighties.
1: I, I just got a couple more because I want to respect your time. Um, what is the effects that you've seen in your experience that social media has taken on the craft?
3: <laughs> social oh. media is such a tricky thing, right? Because it, um, something like Twitter started off as basically headlines of the news. Now it's it's just a garbage can full of people's opinions either good, bad, or indifferent, and attacking one another, it seems. Instagram, uh, wonderful thing, um, but it's mostly pictures. It's not about any kind of text. Uh, Facebook started off where we wanted to keep keep in touch with our friends and our family. And now Facebook has its professional side. So on one hand, they provide a PR for the artist, for the product, for... And all that is great. Um, On the other hand, um, I think it's unfortunate that now... I think actors are being hired or not hired, depending on how many followers they have um, and having maybe l- less to do with their actual talent. Well, he's really talented, but she has one million followers. So that's who we want. And and I think that's where it gets it gets a little tricky um, because it, it becomes about uh, a popular popularity contest and not about talent. Um you know, all these all these wonderful technologies, you know, they have, I think, as would, Tracy would agree, have their good side and their bad side. Um, you just have to figure out how to use it, um, how to make sure it doesn't get used against you um, and and uh, understand that, yes, we're moving forward. And I agree uh, there is more out there for black folk to do than there has been in a very long time because of streaming, because of cable TV, because of those opportunities, Um, you know, um. So those things are all good, and they are they are supported by social media. But we have we we should not forget that there are human beings involved who have talent, and that's that should be the top of the the criteria list.
2: It is on mine because <laughs> I'm old school. So I, you know that. I'm I'm impressed with all of these social media handles. However, um, I'm not an advocate. I understand the business aspect. If you have 1.6 million followers, then we can get 1.6 million people, you know, to watch this film. Um, but that does not validate talent for me. That just says you have a lot of followers. Um, and the other thing is, um, I wanted to say that for social media, for my celebrity clients, it's about. For me, their self-care, their health, their mental health, because um, I have a couple of clients who I'm constantly saying, stay off of social media because they read the comments. And if you don't know somebody, why would you invest energy in what they say? And why would you care? So I'm constantly trying to separate them from their devices and tell them to stop believing what they're reading because then they start to go into this abyss and doubt and questioning. And these are people who are very successful. Um, but somebody can say one thing on social media, I hated your hair. And, and it's that simple. And it just, the day is done. And I'm like, do you know them? No. Okay. You know, just being conscious of where you share your energy and who you share your energy with. That's what I say to actors.
1: Yeah, they won't get me on the hair comment because mine's gone, but that's totally understandable. <laughs> totally understandable. They get my
2: oh my god! They <laughs> totally got a couple them. of them for the uh, for the uh, Grammys. A couple.
1: <laughs> yeah, true. Um, my my last question is something that's been a discussion since probably the beginning of Black people being on film, and that is the question of: Does a black film does it limit us? Like you know, there was often times when people say, "Well, you know, if you call it a black film," then, you know, it shouldn't be called a black film. It should just be called a film. But shouldn't we be allowed to kind of say, like, this is our culture, too? Because I think about like my Greek, my big fat Greek wedding. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think about what you are always one of the lessons when I watch um, inside the black box of uh, being very specific to make it, you know, universal. For both of you in, in your career, in your, in your aspect, of how you look at it does the black in front of the movie put the limitation in front of it or is it an invitation?
3: I mean, I think these days it's different, right? So when, when people were calling it black film, it was because it was a different market, completely different market. And the, the studios were saying, "So this is a black film. That means it's only domestic. We're not. There's no foreign involved here. Um, yes, it's. It maybe was directed by a black person. Mostly, it was directed by white. You know, white directors. And it was like race records uh, before that. They were records that had very special, very selective budgets um, for a very selective niche audience. And that's what they were put out to do. Today, I think it's a different thing. I think now we're talking about pride." Now today, I think yeah. we're talking about the fact that this is a black film that was uh, produced like the Oscars last year. The Oscars were produced by a black production company, first time ever, so everybody wanted to talk about it. Unfortunately, all that other business got in the way. But I mean, I think that that's the difference, is that in the old days, it was to designate a budget and a specific kind of way it was going to be promoted. Today, I think it's, it's about pride and it's about um, uh, success.
2: I agree. Um, I also think that um, for me as the casting director, what I often, um, especially late 80s and 90s, um, dealt with was because I'm black, I just know black actors and I'm just, I just do black films. And so I had to um, constantly make statements like I deal with talent and talent is all colors. But if I were going for, in the beginning of my career, I was hired a lot to do white films. And I was hired over the phone and over fax machines back in the day. And so my name is Tracy Moore, very generic. And it wasn't until I showed up that it was like, oh, okay. you know. And you would see that, like, oh, didn't know. Um, But I say that to say that there's still room to grow. And there's still barriers that we have to continue to break because it's all in the mind. It's the mindset of the producer. It's the mindset of the director. And I talk with Joe and we talk all the time about the problems. We know the problems as people of color. We know the problems in in this industry, but the show is bringing an awareness to not just, you know, these problems, but the experiences that we have as people of color, that's different than my white counterpart. And for me to be hired, I have to know Black actors, but I really have to know White actors. And for my White counterpoint, they might just need to know some White actors and they get the job. And what was interesting during COVID, when um, Malcolm and Marie, all these films came out on on Netflix, White casting directors, I don't want to say it's segregated because a lot of us work on a lot of different projects, but during COVID, um, there was a, a clubhouse with. Um, some known casting directors who were talking about how now white casting directors were coming over into black films and wanting to work and cast black film when that was never a thing. Cause you know, we were the ones competing against each other. Now we're competing against each other and our white counterparts. And so um, that was a really um, interesting sort of trend that was going on during COVID. Um, and, you know, um, the there's work, but it's how as a black casting director, I have to approach the work in order for me to work consistently and get the jobs out here. So, you know, we, we just want to focus on solutions and changes slowly, you know, and I mentor casting, um, um, uh, people who want to be casting directors and, you know, just keep instilling in them to be a part of the change. And, you know, if, and you know choices giving your director and producer choices that um are not necessarily stereotypical but you know giving people giving actors the opportunity to just be actors just be actors
3: yeah i also think that um you know money makes the world go around and so as soon as the markets began to open of (laughs) course white casting directors wanted to work on black film because there was money to be made there um which is fair because that's world Uh we live in it's it's a Uh capitalist world it's all that's all that's fair and that's what i was saying before i think the markets are now different than what they used to be and so the term black film and white film have very different meanings than they did 40 years ago or 20 years ago even um and that's all a good thing Uh, that's all a good thing um uh, you know jordan peele now has a foreign market that he never had before you know, um, 12, 12 years a slave had a foreign market, as, as does Black Panther, that they never would have had before. And all these things are good things, because it means now that, you know, when we started this interview, Tracy talked about budgets, and now those budgets are opening up because there is money to be made.
1: Yeah, green seems to be the only color America was a racist about. So seems to be the most consistent player in the game, no matter what era you're in. So thank you for bringing home.
3: They were racist about it for a certain period of time. They just, once it became, um, uh, one, illegal, and two, non-profitable, it was something to be left behind.
1: Ooh, Jim, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, for Inside the Black Box on Crackle TV, what is something that you want people to kind of take from the
2: experience of season two versus season one? Tracy? Two. Uh, <laughs> well, we have, um, we've developed a community just a great group of actors that champion the show and I believe move and drive the show. So I want to pick up those people, that audience, a brand new audience, um, and really bring the awareness to the show that this is something different, that we're showcasing talent that wouldn't have this opportunity and we're sharing our experience to bring awareness for a shift, a change for people of color in the industry.
3: I think it's important to to point out that the show is has all of the kind of the depth we've been talking about, but it's also entertaining it's fun. One of the reasons that these we wanted to do these improvs and these theater games is to bring a certain level of fun. Uh, I think Tracy says all the time she never goes to work, she goes to fun and and that's and that is what we do on the show and that's why I think the guests who come on the show feel the energy the way they do because it's it is an enveloping kind of. Um, welcoming feeling and and the the improvs and the the games we play are, are fun uh, they are also showcases for these for these actors but it's so that people can enjoy it you know um, you know people's eyes begin to glaze over if you talk too long in a very serious manner um, people are like all right I've had enough you know change the channel to an, to another news station um, and so I think we wanted to make sure that there was an injection of uh, of fun not only for um, uh, the audience, but for uh, everybody who's on that set as well.
1: Well, thank you for it because I'm definitely a fan and it's definitely something I love to keep um, binging and sharing with my friends. But I just, I like the knowledge and the game that you are given with your experience and, and I like seeing it on display. And it just adds personally to one of my arguments when people try to say we're not helping each other. I'm like, look, <laughs> look, look, that's the like, area. So, you know, it's just, you know, that's just a personal thing. It has nothing to do with you. I, I appreciate it. But uh, thank you um, once again for coming on here. This has been an excellent history of being black episode. I definitely feel like my blackness has been elevated. I'm not even gonna act arrogant enough to say I elevated y'all blackness because y'all elevated over here. (laughs) But please know that um, this is an invitation for you to come back. If there's anything in particular that you have as a duo or solo, we always have to leave the door open. And also too, if there's an episode in particular, you know, once I'm going to manifest, once season three comes, And there's something that you want to talk about and, you know, in particular, please feel free to come back on the History Being Black because we want to keep championing these type of um, content and shows also, too. So thank you very much.
3: Thank you. Thank you. I think think it's important for us to sort of always be reviewing our history.
1: thank you thank you very much um as usual this has been another history of being black episode you can find our episode on all of the platforms you know i cannot name them all but you know the spotify's and all of them please make sure you go to mean online media network please make sure that you are always going on the history being black instagram as usual i'm jay hall you can follow me on all social media platforms at Hall society be blessed with successful talk to you soon The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcasts. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O'Lion Media. Get the Mean O Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O Line Media production.